This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. You are now listening to the Heroic Council. Hello and welcome to the Heroic Council. Steve, what's up, man? Uh, hey. I'm your host today, Jeff Gibbard, uh, hosting the Heroic Council with my fellow council member, Sarah O'Hannison. See, I can say her name right. And <laughs> it, is it pronounced Uli or is it Wiley? It's a soft e- Uli. It's a soft L, so it's Uli. And, uh, <laughs> Today we have a very special guest with us, Steve Robinson. It is lovely to see you. Absolutely lovely. Before I give you a chance to introduce yourself, I just want to say to all the people listening, uh, we love you all very much. Make sure to tune in every Monday at 1 o'clock p.m. where we do this live stream and we talk to amazing guests and we talk sometimes amongst ourselves. We answer your questions if you chat and you send stuff in in the middle of this. Like We will, we will actually address your question, provided it's a good one and not someone like hitting on one of us because that makes it awkward. Um, if you want to know all the different places where you can get this show, be sure to go to superheroinstitute.org slash heroic. It's got links to the podcast, links to all the places you can watch the live stream. We're on Facebook. We're on LinkedIn. We're on YouTube. We are pretty much everywhere. We're a pretty big deal. Oh, sorry. I meant 2 p.m. Don't show up at 1. We won't be here. So every Monday at 2 is what I meant. Um, and final thing, if you love the show, please go over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Five stars. Not four, not three, not two, not one. Five stars. If you love us, if you don't love us, I mean, I guess you could give us less, but that would just be like rude. So getting started, Steve Robertson, welcome to the Roa Council. It's nice to see you. Likewise. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be with you guys today. Yeah, man. So you are uh, what what all of us would refer to as a Gen Z expert, but there's so much more to you than that. We've known each other for like a decade at this point. Do a better job. Tell us, tell us. Uh, about you give your intro give your bio and put a lot of sizzle on it for us wow i should have prepared for that so i'm competing for uh the handsome spot on this podcast but um i'm currently in second third or maybe even fourth place born and bred south africa spent the last 20 something years in, in the united states always been really passionate about everything to do with the youth um and so that passion has driven me um, I've been very fortunate to be involved with summer programming for kids from around the world and just paying a lot of attention to who they are and what they're about. That Their uh, excitement and passion for life is um, really contagious. And so that's where we've spent, I've spent a lot of the last 20, 25 years of my life is just studying, understanding and trying to be a little bit more engaged and involved with that generation or those generations as they go through their, their younger years, their teen years. Awesome. Well, let's lay out all the relationships here. So you and Sarah have a a longstanding relationship having worked together uh, doing that. Uh, I met both of you back in 2011. And then uh, sometime around 2015, maybe I brought Tim into the picture uh, to do some videos. So we've we've actually all worked together. So this Mm -hmm. is is like a reunion of sorts. Very exciting. One thing I've always loved about you before we even just get into the topic is that um, you mirror a similar energy as as I feel like I try to in work where it just seems like you're playing. Like you've always been very like playful and fun and vivacious. And it really comes through that you really do have a passion for the work that you're doing, um, you know, working with youth. And and it seems like you just you just soak up their energy and, and mirror that same energy. So I've just always appreciated about you. And I don't know if I've ever told you that when we were working together, but now that we're here live in front of billions of people, I felt like it was important for me to tell you that. Thank you, Jeff. I quickly looked at Sarah to see if she agreed with you on that. <laughs> nod or smile or anything. So I'm going to well, say absolutely. I think her video's bad. I think it was just a little glitch. She was actually yeah. nodding furiously, but the stream couldn't keep up. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> exactly how it's going. Well, let's talk about um, you know this whole Gen Z conversation because there's a lot of talk in uh, in work in general about like first it was like oh these millennials they're so X Y and Z. And, you know, back in the day, it was like in the greatest generation, they were like, these baby boomers are so, yeah, right. So every, every generation, there's always some angst from the incumbents that say this new generation is something. We've talked about the Gen Z thing before, and you, you really nicely illuminated why this time around, it's actually a little different than it's been in the past with the sort of friction between the older and the younger. So kind of lay out the case. What, first of all, what is Gen Z? What is that about? What's the, what's the thing? Yeah, Gen Z are 10 to 24, 25. 
Um, I really look at the next generations, alpha generation and Gen Z as kind of one. They're not one, but um, when I contrast it to previous generation, millennial and, and, and older, um, there's some really interesting data around this generation that talks to them. Sarah knows this, and actually all of you guys know this. We joke about them as being aliens because they are fundamentally different from any generation we've seen before. But Jeff, you're right in saying that every generation, well, here's the, when, when millennials came um, of age, that's when data and research was at an all-time high. And so they were probably the first generation that was truly studied so uh, in depth. And um, so when it came to Gen Z, everybody kind of just thought, yep, they're just millennials. And they had so much millennial, 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 that there wasn't really an appetite to unpack what Gen Z was. But you're talking about a generation that is currently responsible for $600 billion of family spend. We're talking about a generation under the age of 25 right now, 42% of the world population is under the age of 25. Hmm. This is brutal. I mean, brutal. This is incredible. We're talking about a generation that um, 85% of them learn about new products via social media. And you're wondering why in, I think it was in 2018, about 65% of industry said that they were changing their marketing campaigns significantly towards Gen Z. And so you start to look at, well, what is so different about them? That's just the tip of the iceberg and why they can never be the same as any other generation that we've seen. The uh, the forces of the world, as it were, um, have come to bear on them and have just changed the way they engage with each other, with life. And so as a result, they're just growing up really different. The rest of us are going in the same direction. We're just taking a lot more time to get there because for us, we have other patterns in place. This is the only thing Gen Z have known as they've kind of grown up with this, this technology and all these different forces that are at work in their life. So all of that being said, let's let's look at it from a workforce perspective then. So you're saying they're aliens. They're a little bit different from everybody else that's come before because, and we've talked about this, this whole like they've grown up with digital technologies. They they have known no other way than to like get information from social media. So they're different, right? And when millennials came into the workforce, there was this whole conversation about how, oh my God, they're going to disrupt the workforce. They're so different. They're so this, so that. So I guess let's start with what's fundamentally different between millennials and Gen Z there. Like, how does that transition happen? And then what should employers be thinking about as Gen Z are starting to enter the workforce? What what makes them so different? What, what do you have to do? So from a workforce perspective, that's a good question. Um, millennials were making a transition to a lot of the technology, especially the technology we all love and use the phone. Um, it, it was something that arrived while they were coming of age. Um, for Gen Z, it was always there, right? So millennials were using it as a toy. Uh, they entered, for the most part, the workforce when the workforce was still the workforce as all of us knew it. Whereas right now, you look at how the workforce is being changed, not only by this young cohort coming into the workforce, but by a generation that's, that demands their attention by spending $600 billion. Um, and so all of a sudden what you have is you have business starting to change in order to serve a customer that is a little bit different. You also have that customer now who's coming into the workforce who has grown up working in a slightly different way. They haven't necessarily, in fact, there's a stat that they haven't worked as much in high school as any other generation. They've been part of a gig economy when it suited them. They've lived in this uh, world of on-demand. You know, I'll work when I want, how I want, I'll eat when I want, I'll watch. And so all of a sudden, you've got this generation who, by the way, are crazy smart because they have access to all information and, and, and they know how to get to it really easily, but they're just not as smart. Well, let me rephrase. They just don't know as much as the rest, right? So they're really smart. So you've got this cohort coming into the workplace. You've got leaders trying to figure out, well, how can I get the best out of them? You've got people who don't necessarily flow with the rhythms that were in place before in the workplace. And so millennials were a little bit different in that they were part of that flow and started adding technology and different things um, to their lives kind of during that, that period of time, whereas Gen Z has never been in that space. So it's almost like coming into, um, into work and looking at everything that's there and saying, but I don't want to work like this. I want to do it my way. And trying to figure out why the rest of the cohorts, or not the cohorts, the rest of the people in the organization are saying, yeah, well, we do it this way. 
So the journey is being kind of revealed as they go. But what is really important is not only is Gen Z your customer, but it's the only cohort that is coming into the workplace. So as leaders and as the workforce tries to embrace them, if they don't get a sense, and we always talk about getting a new lens just to see them through a new lens, you can't adjust and adapt your strategies to either lead them, to coach them, to even figure out how to use them well in your own space. Sorry, you've worked with this cohort as well. Mm-hmm. What's what's kind of your? I know you have worked very closely with Steve. You're both like super like bullish on the Gen Z thing. You're also, um, you know, a millennial. So Tim, you and and Sarah are both in the millennial cohort. It, one, is there any threat like oh Gen Z stealing our thunder as millennials? Uh, but but more importantly, like what have you learned about working with Gen Z? You know, you've had to work with people that are in in the Gen Z. Do you kind of share this idea that that they're fundamentally different, or is like how do you look at it? I mean, for me, I think it's it's an interesting way. Like you can look at it and say, I'm threatened by them. They're younger than me. They they look different than me. But you can also see it as a huge opportunity, right? And so I always tried to see this as an opportunity to, to grow and to learn something. I mean, I would not have been on certain social media channels if it wasn't for working with a younger demographic. Um, I said to Steve often, like, I think I'm kind of cool because I worked with this age group. <laughs> If I had never, I probably wouldn't be so cool. Um, But it kind of kept me in the loop and it kept me engaged with new technologies, new marketing tools. And so I used it as an opportunity to propel myself forward rather than sit and in fear and say, oh, the the aliens are taking over the world, right? So I think it's important to, as as a manager, as a leader, to use it as something that can grow yourself and also your, your business, certainly. Tim, have you ever worked with anyone from Gen Z? Uh, I mean, I've worked with, like, I've communicated with them. Like, uh, some of my siblings are Gen Z. No, no, but Um, have you ever worked with them? Because if you haven't, I guess that kind of explains why Sarah's so cool and why you struggle. Actually, I I did have a question. Um, So, because a lot of the things, Steve, that you were saying, like, I remember them saying a lot of these things about millennials. Um, like for instance, that we're not content with the typical workflow, um, and that like uh, I and and it may not be to the same degree. I just remember there was like a lot of um, anxiety around millennials and how they were changing things for probably the worse or the better, depending on who you're asking. Um, like I don't know. Like I remember some specifics are is that like we're lazy and entitled was like the big ones, um, which I'm not. I like may or may not have been true. Do you what what do you what do you think in comparison like some I don't know some labels that like that you expect to see or that you're seeing on Gen Z at the moment? Yeah, I, I love the fact that you're going there because um, this is not about labeling as much as it is just trying to see them through a, a different lens. And the lens is important because what we're trying to do is we're trying to, as leaders in the workplace, welcome them well. We're trying to, as leaders in the workplace, figure out how do we communicate with them well so that we can, one, market to them, two, lead them if they come into our workspace. And so this is not suggesting that they don't or they do. Um, the conversation is actually way bigger than that. There's some significant things at play. I call it the perfect storm that's a play that is has grown this generation up different and i'm not saying that they're lazy i'm not saying they're anything of those kinds of things i'm what i'm trying to say is that they're different and if we understand some of those differences now each person's an individual right so i'm not suggesting everybody but for the most part this is what the data is saying and truly it's what we've seen they really are different and so one of the biggest bridges that we have to to cross is this bridge of of generations right so Every generation thinks that the generation that came after them is like, oh, they don't know how to do this and they don't know. And every generation looking backwards says, oh, they're all fools. But what's really interesting, and to your point, Tim, is that this generation is really mentored by their peers. Now, you're going to argue the same thing. Well, every generation is, but not to this extent. And so what you're starting to see is this, is that you've got a generation that's coming to the world, that's in the world, that is taking the advice of their peers over the other generation. In fact, it goes into a thing of curation as well. And what we find is that this is a generation that has basically um, grown up in a place where they're so siloed, as all of us actually are becoming more and more, by the way, where they'll listen to what they want, they'll eat what they want, they'll, they'll connect with who they want. And as a result of that, their worlds are kind of small. 
right? And so when it comes from wisdom from other generations, older generations, legacy information, legacy wisdom, it's much harder to transfer that information because you have to first get permission to speak into their lives, which is a whole bizarre thing, right? Which hasn't happened before. So leaders in the workplace have to get, how do I get permission to speak into their lives? How do I qualify? How do I get into the curated stream? And at that point, you can start to share some of the legacy. So this is not so much about, oh, they this, they that. This is a, a, about how they engage with the world currently and trying to see how we can come in between. And I, the reason it's important to come in between, sorry for a run-on sentence, is because they don't believe currently for the most part that they need us to help them. They have access to all information and they know how to get there really quickly. So that wisdom quota, which only comes from this gray beard, right? Um, that wisdom quota, they don't value it. They don't see that it's missing even, right? And so they look at us and they see the values that some of us carry and they don't agree with our values. They don't agree with, you know, a lot of what's going on in the world. So even just to bridge that generational gap has become incredibly, incredibly difficult. And so here's a group that grows up that don't really need much help in their own eyes and they want to forge ahead. And I just feel like there's an opportunity, as Sarah said, to come alongside these people. If you take the time to try and understand kind of why they behave like they do, um, and there's some real reasons for that, you know, then you have a much better voice to speak into their lives. And that's really what I, I'm pressing for in this conversation. So we had a question that I think is a nice follow-up to that. It came in from uh, the chat from one of our audience members. So I'm going to put it up on the screen right now. Um, so it's from Jack Beck, and he actually asked a follow-up on this, which is, do you feel that companies have the necessary tools to adapt to the rapid change uh, to the Gen Z workforce? And his follow-up was, what tools do they need or should they have to adapt? So I wanted to, to give Jack that, uh, the space to ask that question and give you a chance to respond to that, Steve. Can I, can I add an add-on to that too? Sure. Like, do you think there's also the cultural will in businesses and society to adapt That's to the Gen Z workforce? That's an excellent, yeah. excellent question. So, Jack, thank you for asking that. And so the, here's, the, here's the really fascinating part of the journey. If you look at Kodak, who are just a spectacular company, they had, and in some ways, I don't know, but the opportunity to buy Instagram and didn't. And today they, they're, they're no longer around. So the question about do companies have the appetite to do this? is more a case of, well, do you want to be around in the future? So it's brutal, but it's true. So to Jack's question, you know, the tools, the tools are, here's where the real shift is, Jack. The real shift is really in leadership. So where leaders have somewhat been sink or swim, go out and do it. Um, now what you need is a shift in leadership. And actually you need the shift in the home as well. It's in parenting and in leaders where coaching is about what you do. Mentoring is about who you are. And so there's this combination of roles that has to be in the workplace right now. So what we've seen in the past is the leaders would say, do this, and they would leave people to do it and kind of figure it them out themselves. Well, where the gap is right now is that companies and leaders need to understand that they need to figure out how to come alongside as a GPS, a guide positioned by the side of GPS. That's pretty good, right? A GPS to show this generation the direction that they need to go. So tools, I can tell you now, 35% of the communication is digital. 85%, I told you earlier, of this generation is buying and finding products online through social media. So if a company isn't ready to tell their story on social media and be transparent, which is really important because Gen Z wants to know that you're real and that their values align with you. If you already a brick and mortar company you know, with Ivy League, Ivy League style, Ivy on your walls that hasn't changed in years, that's probably not going to cut it. You've got to show that you are um, interested and interesting, right? And so I, I'm struggling to answer your question to give you the specific tools. The tools that you need is you need to be able to communicate well from a leadership perspective, and you need to be able to communicate well with your customer base, which I already told you 600 billion is not a small man, number. Um, with Gen Z, which is social. So it's a really complicated question to ask, Jack. It's not something that's a one-minute answer, but the, the answer is not many companies are thinking about how to do it, and that's really it. It's not so much about the tools. It's about the attitude. It's about the perspective. And if your perspective shifts, this is what is amazing. As soon as there's a change in perspective, 
Only then can there be a change in attitude or behavior. So a company has to change their perspective on a generation, on a customer base, and on an employee before they start to behave differently. And so it's not so much about the tools, because the tools are ubiquitous and inexpensive. Um, it's about an attitude or, and a perspective. So I, I don't know if I did a good job answering your question. I hope I did. Yeah, I think you did a good job. I actually just want to uh, try and take some of those and and um, uh, box it up a little bit because I think the question of um, do the, do companies have the necessary tools? I think there's kind of two ways to think about that question. So you can say like, do we have the tools to go to the moon? And for that, we mean collaboration. We mean uh, mathematics. We mean physics. We mean those sorts. So like tools in sort of a, a more nebulous sense of things, like the tools that you need to adapt to, you know, the rapid change of a Gen Z workforce are things like leadership and communication and empathy and connection and all the things that you would need with prior generations as well. And I think what's really shifting is the method and the mode that that happens in. And then when we get to the, the conversation around tools like hammers and screwdrivers and saws, like actual, you know, pr uh, potentially digital tools and things like that, I think what we're looking at there is it's changing all of the time. And it's a matter of being fluid and flexible with the way that this generation is going to be able to move. And I think, Steve, something you had said earlier, I don't know if you said it today or if it's, I'm just hearkening back to a time we had said it. You said this is the first generation whose default mode is becoming. Right. So like they are always evolving as a generation because of the 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 phone cycles are every year. Right. That the app updates are every few days. Right. So their their way of behaving in the world, their way of understanding updates and things changing is just constant. Whereas you take someone like my parents generation, like, you know, change didn't happen in those sort of iterations and cycles. So in terms of like the actual hard tools, like I don't know, capital T tools, I think those are going to keep changing. But being open to understanding that this generation and their fluency with them is a real value to the company, then tools in the more amorphous sense is, an, is a willingness to change and adapt and move quickly. So that's kind of a lot of what I get from the, the things that you had said in the past and just trying to button it up as I understand it from what you've said. So, Jack, Yeah, I was going to say, too, I think it's interesting that they... Gen Z want to have a purpose. They want to have an understanding of why what they're doing matters. Like they don't want to waste their time because there's something else they could be doing with it, right? They they value their time. They they get all this this offerings that are, are available to them. So I think what's important as a leader is to make sure you're explaining this is why we're doing it. And it's not because it's the way we've always done it. It's because there's value to this, to our organization, to our company. Here's why. Let me show you. What can you bring to the table? As your leader, this is what I value you bring to the to this meeting or to this project. And I think that's important. That they value the why possibly more than any other generation. You know, the the the, the older generation just went to work and did the job and went home and that was it. And I think uh, this generation really values the meaning behind the work. Let me add another point to that, and then I want to turn it over to Steve, see if you agree with this. But I, so I think one side of the why there's a purpose-driven uh, sort of mindset that's very pervasive among Gen Z, I think is partly because of options. And they have so many choices of things to do. So like, if you're not interesting, I'm going to turn elsewhere. I think on the other hand, there's a likelihood that the proliferation and access to information makes it so that we have a generation that's more aware of kind of bigger things that are going on, such as climate change, the potential for the collapse of biodiversity, and like the 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 potential ramifications of what we have done in the past and how that's impacting this generation's present and future. I think that's probably caused them to be a lot more thoughtful about where they spend their money, um, where they want to work. All, all of those sort of purpose-driven choices, I think, are actually in some ways driven out of, in addition to the choices, but the necessity of like, the, the, I guess the recognition that like life is short and we have like a lot of things that we're going to be accountable for fixing. Like I've heard a lot of people say like, oh, Gen Z will save us. I'm like, can you imagine the pressure on the generation that's like, it's their job to fix everything that we've all screwed up? Yeah, the, you know, the, the real generation that's going to save us is Alpha. Gen Z, like millennials, is still figuring a whole lot of things out. So come on, Alpha. But... Um, <laughs> No, I mean, you're, you're right in, in so many ways. I think the um, there's a thing called uh, Mean World Syndrome, something studied in the 70s, which speaks about how violent television gives you a, a, a perspective which is unreal of 
how safe you are in the world, right? And so the data and, and the, the amount of time we spend on screens now has increased so much. And so one of the things that you start to see is that the world news uh, through, through all the outlets and channels is available 24-7 at your fingertips. And so as a result, this generation has access to information and what's going on in every corner of the world, which before we really didn't. And so it's in their face, in all of our faces, where you see rights and wrongs and you want to say that's just not good enough. Not only do you see that, but you also now have a voice almost at any age to say, I don't agree. That is wrong. We need to do something about that. So that's something I really think needs to be celebrated. Um, and and so they're 100 in, in in that space when it comes to that. But there's always two sides to a coin, right? And so um, they definitely want to align themselves with with a, an organization that has value and has social value and, and has meaning in life. But they're also probably one of the most fearful generations we've encountered for for all the right and wrong reasons, right? This uh, mean world syndrome has got them petrified. Funnily enough, when you look at the data, there's a lot of data um, that speaks about this is one of the safest, wealthiest, most educated times in recorded human history. I've got, I mean, I have about 30 graphs of data points that show this, but yet we don't feel that. We feel like this is, I don't want to go out my door in case I die, right? Whether it's from the pandemic or whether it's from being attacked or whatever it is. So you've got this generation that have seen parents in in uh parents possibly family members lose their jobs not through the pandemic in before that with the recession and they are desperate to find some kind of stability um in their lives as well so it's this it's the seesaw so they're they're upskilling all the time so that they can get into a position where they've got some kind of security but at the same time it's this generation that is really focused on cause and care which again absolutely needs to be celebrated okay um so I actually have another question uh, about that because they are the one of the first generations who had, you know, like um, all this technology and access to information in the way that they do um, at like a early like developmental stage in their life, you know, like during high school when, and, and earlier when the brain was developing. Ha have we seen any like effects in it now that they're like in their mid 20s of what that does to like somebody in like developing i don't know if that's specifically the fear or anything else but like i'm i'm curious if there's any like weird addictions or any any weird like knock-on effects that 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 you're seeing in this generation versus say millennials yeah and Tim, so it's even though they're in their 20s it's still early data takes a long time to be yeah right but but yeah the early data is, is um in some cases is is really scary you know, um, I don't think it's only technology, but there's certainly other and, and there's certainly other factors at play. But we're looking at um, loneliness. We're looking at um, things like suicide and depression at, at all time highs, right? Um, and and so that's that's disturbing. And when you look at what's what's happened from the pandemic, where students Gen Z are working from home, isolated. The, the one thing that is is really lacking in this generation, and they self-report that as well, by the way is this um, opportunity to, to grow in a number of soft skills. And these soft skills, um, regardless of the technology, um, are things that need to be, be really nurtured. And so in the workplace, that's something that you should do. And parents as well, problem solving, communication, gratitude, and perseverance are four of the main ones. Jeff, you're aware of that conversation, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, Tim, the thing about technology um, is we're always, as pre-technology people, call it that roughly um we're going to be judging the technology but i can tell you that the technology um graph is not on the decline in fact we're looking at um right now 65 percent of children entering elementary school are going to end up with jobs that don't exist today so never mind the jobs that don't exist today think of the technology so this technology spike is only going to continue so I don't even think we're going to have enough time to unpack the impact of yeah. growing a cell phone and an iPad before we've moved on to the next iteration of what technology looks like. But I can tell you the areas that um, are, are definitely of concern is this area of soft skills. And why that's important is because those soft skills are part of what helps us connect and communicate. And that whole connection factor um, is one of the things that I don't believe has changed from generation to generation. That need to connect and be social um, is critical. And even though this is social, it's certainly not social in the same way as everything before. And so those skills are falling off the, off, off the table a little bit more than we would have hoped. And, and so that's definitely one of the fallout. But when you look at suicide, depression, anxiety, those things, 
Um, you know, there, there are a number of things that the technology has added to the fuel to the fire in terms of that growth. But I don't know that um, it's a, I don't know that it's a really brave conversation because it's easy to say, don't let your children go on this. But if you're the only child who isn't on this, the bullying um, at school is probably worse than what you'll get here. So at this point, it comes back to parenting and leadership, how you parent your kids through this process more so than um, anything else. Think about the first cars that came out, people saying, no, no, I'm going to work on a horse. And then imagine you turn 16. I don't think they had licenses back then in the Model T Ford. And hey, can I go out in the car tonight, Dad? You know, so that, that fear of that technology, the same thing, this fear of this technology, I don't think is the core issue. Um, it's how we manage that and how we navigate the generation that we're we're mentoring through this process. So again, I don't know if I did a good job answering, but it's no, one hundred percent. Yeah. Do you, do, you, do you think that there's like um, we have enough information to make uh, for parents one to make good parenting choices around technology, and two, like maybe on a policy level, like is there good like like do we have enough information to make like recommendations for what schools should be doing and what society should be doing as a whole? Okay, this is gonna get this is gonna get sketchy right now. One hundred percent, yes. Okay. Okay. Are you gonna turn off? I don't know how many trillion dollars of industry to do this because that's what you're up against. This technology works from a business selling marketing perspective, and where are you gonna find the people to hit that switch? So, look, if would we be better off as a race without it? Absolutely, I believe yes. Mm. That's not a choice. I really don't believe that's a choice. So. Um, do we have the ability? Yes. When parents, leaders get a new lens and they see this generation differently and they see the role that they need to play with this generation differently in a mentoring sense, I think we're well on our way. It doesn't help to say my kid's not allowed this. It, it helps to teach your kid how to handle that well, how to journey that well. And so I think that's the problem is, is that parents and leaders have been absent. Um, there's an epidemic of undermanagement. It's been quoted by a couple of authors um, where we just don't manage and things have kind of turned out okay. And this generation is going to turn out okay. I just feel like we have such an opportunity to make them much more than okay. And we need to own that responsibility. Steve, a couple weeks ago, we had a, a another guest on the show and we were talking about culture. And I know you're a culture expert as well. And what are you seeing like shifts in culture? You know, we were talking about a pool table and beers on draft doesn't make your company have a culture, what's really happening inside those walls or on Zoom these days is your culture. So can you speak to a little bit about people trying to adapt their culture to Gen Z and possibly going like overboard in the wrong direction on things that don't, Gen Z might not really care about the pool table, but they really care about maybe the leader saying, thank you, you did a great job today, I value your work. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, and Sarah, that's such a that's such a great space to be in because culture ultimately determines so much. Culture determines um, so many of the rules that we put in the workplace, even in, in the home, um, and they put you in a place where you don't have to talk about this because the culture determines it. You know? So um, it's fascinating, you know, in, in terms of Gen Z, the, that personal connection, that personal mentoring, that one-on-one, -on -one, that really speaking through that, uh, as you suggested, that thank you, well done, those things mean an awful lot. And honestly, if you think about it, any human being, it should mean the same to everybody. We should be taking the time to say, I saw Judith, that was amazing. Hey, here's how you could do this better, whatever those things are. Um, but I, I, so, so those, again, I, I think are things that have always been there, but certainly this generation values it immensely. And, and um, when you talk more broadly about culture, you know, the idea of this on-demand life that they've only ever lived. Think about it from the age that they could be on an iPad, they, on an iPad, they could, they could do what yeah. when they wanted to, right? I, I, now, they couldn't order an Uber and they couldn't order Uber Eats, but pretty soon they could, right? And so I don't want to eat what you're making, mom. Please, can I have pizza? I've ordered on Uber Eats. Please, can I go here? I know you can't drive me. I'm getting an Uber. You've got to be 18. It doesn't matter. They'll pick you up anyway, right? We all know that. And so this on-demand life is something that corporate America, corporate world is really going to have to start dealing with. And is already. It's like, you know, I don't really want to come to work from 8 until 5. Um, you know what? I will check in for any of the meetings. But you know what? I want to, I'm going to go work out. And I will work from 6 to 9.30, 30, 2.40 in the morning, and I'll get everything done better than you can imagine. And so coming to terms with what that looks like and how you're going to allow that or not allow that to happen, um, 
we, you know, you see some things where um, in the Gen Z space, somebody on a day like today that's in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, or snowing, just don't come to work. Don't bother letting you know when you reach out to them, they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't want to drive in this. Did you let us know? Why should I? I'm working, you know? So um, the, the, the real cultural shift is to things that matter. And what matters to them is I know what I'm supposed to do and I'll get it done. So why do you worry when I get it done, right? And so managers of old, whether nine to four, nine to five, clock in, clock out, what have you done today? Um, we've got to move to a goal-oriented type work style. We've got to work to a place where I give you the opportunity to be creative and do what you need to do and don't determine for you how to do it. If you want to work on your phone, if you want to work on a PC, whatever, it doesn't matter. And we're struggling to get over some of those things. Communication in the workplace is also a big deal. Can you text your boss and say, I'm running late? Can you text your boss and say, pop into my, my cubicle, I want to ask you something? I mean, can you? Well, why not? Right? <laughs> why not? So I, I guess we're challenging a whole lot of the old guard mindsets. And I think what leaders are going to have to do very quickly is to determine try and take the, the noise out of the air and figure out what is productive, what is the best thing that I can do to get you to be the most productive. And what I'm doing with you, Jeff, may not be the same what I'm doing with you, Sarah, and that's what makes leadership so hard right now. I have to customize a plan for each one of you, but the future-proof companies and the companies that will be here tomorrow are the ones that are going to do that. They will have people that actually lead, leaders that are called leaders that actually lead as opposed to just bark orders and check in once every six months to tell you you did the wrong thing. And those leaders are going to be required to give you customized approaches. This is, Jeff, how you need to go about doing this. But Sarah, yeah, Sarah's different. She's working from home today. That's okay. Yeah, I, I think that's that's huge. And Steve, we've talked about this a lot before. Like people generally want to do the right thing, right? They, they don't want to break rules for the sake of breaking them typically. But if the leader doesn't say what the rules are, nobody knows. And I think those uh, rules are made to be broken, but they're made to be kind of morphed and shift to something that works. And I love what you said about being goal oriented. I think that's great. But it has to work, right? Like, because at the same time, like, I, I feel like I had, I had um, some level of ADD that I feel like is partially a product of like video games and other stuff I did like in my teen years and early, uh, early years. And like, I assumed that like, I could work like a certain way that felt good to me, but I don't think I was always the most productive person, you know, at the same time. And like, we talk about productivity a lot on the show in particular, and, and with Jeff and Sarah, and I feel like I've implemented strategies that I needed to be more effective in general. So I imagine there's going to be people who think they can work a certain way, and then try to work that way, and it doesn't go so well. I, I imagine businesses are also going to have to deal with that, because I'm sure there are a lot of other like, ADD type issues, like, I'm, 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 What's the word? I'm I'm putting it all into one very generalized box, but you know what I mean. Like I, I I'm assuming like productivity issues might be a real thing in the future. Priorities are important. There's no such thing as non-ADD today. We're being bombarded by, with content and messaging from a million different places. It's impossible not to be the traditional ADD thing. So that is that. That's the default. That's the norm. That's why people like Sarah who come to the conversation and help you prioritize and be organized is key because that's a skill <laughs> that everybody has, right? And so deciding what you do, when you do, how you do it is the key. It's not about ADD. It's not about focus. Um, those things are going to be challenged every single day by every for every single person. Yeah. So we got another question from Jack. There was a follow-up to what you were just talking about, about the cyber commuting and things like that. So uh, I want to put that out there, but I have a follow-up question that's going to come next. So just stay tuned for that. So to Jack's point, um, how does this work with blue collar when you can't just not show up because it's snowing, which by the way, I think I might have always been a Gen Z because I never understood like, <laughs> why I couldn't work from wherever and whenever and why should I, why does it matter if I tell you like I'm working, like I have that, you said all that and I was like, yeah, what, what's wrong with that? Um, so I guess I've just always been Gen Z then. Uh, so to Jack's point, what, what are your, what's your take on that? So Jack, let me just say this, um, that and no circumstances at any point have I said that they wouldn't fit into a system, right? What I'm suggesting is that in order for us to help them fit into a blue collar workforce well, or any kind of existing structure well, what we have to do is we have to win them over. 
And that when the MOVA isn't becoming their best friend, that when the MOVA is taking the time to figure out who they are and figure out what makes them work well, and then to explain the infrastructure and the processes and the standard operating procedures that you had in place. Whereas before, people would just do what they were told. This is a generation, again, to be celebrated. I want you to know that. That is going to say, but why? That just doesn't make any sense, right? Why do I have to let you know? What, what's the difference? If I'm dead in a car crash, you'll find out. And if I'm at home working, you'll know. I, why do I have to let you know? Look outside. It's snowing, you know. So so this is a generation when you onboard them well, and this is something that, that, that the workforce or businesses need to get. If you figure out how to onboard them well, that process – You've got people that are not only articulate, but are crazy smart and are really motivated to work. So short answer to your question, they will do an incredible job. What we've got to just do is understand that that onboarding process and that orientation process is more important than it's ever been because you have an alien coming to work. Now, imagine if a real alien came to work. <laughs> okay, you would go to great lengths to ensure that they got it. Right. We just don't do that because they they look like humans. They look like teenagers going through a phase and they're not just. Te- well, they are just teenagers going through a phase, but that's not all. Right. OK, there's more to it. So just imagine that maybe you make them wear an alien suit. That, that could be weird. An alien suit <laughs> for the first six months. Right. And so that you engage with them differently. But that's the point is it's just it's a new lens and you will get them to mm. do what you want within your organization um, and they will also give you some amazing questions and challenges that you might think back and say, you know what, that's really awesome. I'm going to rethink that. So the question that I had, you mentioned you've said the word mentorship several times. And at the same time, you've also talked about the need to really listen, be empathetic, understand them, win them over. Um, I've always in my career um, kind of taken a, a lot of pride in the fact that I sit in between the baby boomer generation, like kind of at the edge of X and then being able to communicate with boomers and being able to communicate with millennials. I call myself a bridge generation because I'm in between the millennial and Gen X, right? So I remember a time when there was dial-up internet and now I'm also super fluent with technology. So I've had, um, I've had an easier time than some of my younger cohorts in dealing with baby boomers and later Gen X. So my question for you is, Mentorship is something where um, it has to be a two-way street. Somebody has to say, yes, I accept your mentorship, right? And you're saying that this is a generation that largely is resistant to older wisdom because they have all of the information at their fingertips, right? So my question to you is, is there a generation that preceded Gen Z, millennials, zennials like me, Gen X, baby boomers, uh, grandparents that have an easier time bridging that gap, either because of their fluency with technology or the way that they talk to them, or even just there's such a large difference that for some reason that allows them to communicate across generations. My assumption would be that millennials would be the ideal group to be able to communicate with Gen Z and help them bridge the gap. But I could be completely wrong. Do you have any uh, insight onto, you know, if you're a company trying to adapt to a Gen Z workforce, who should you be looking to to be the ones to welcome them, to onboard them, to understand and empathize with them so that you can actually get these aliens on board? That's quite a quite an interesting place you went, Jeff. So part of the, um, I think, the misconception is that what Gen Z is bringing to the table that is a challenge for everybody is this technology mindset. And unfortunately, or fortunately, that is only a small part of a conversation. So in terms of bridging that gap, certainly a lot of millennials are in a much better position and have a better appetite to do that, right? Because they're intrigued by the technology potentially more than older generations. So in that scenario, yes. But I think what's what's really fascinating and I think also exciting is that um, when when you take the time in a mentoring capacity, whether it's someone that's younger than you and or older than you, it doesn't matter, right? It really doesn't matter. In fact, you should have multiple mentors and some should absolutely be younger than you, right? Um, When you take time to care about who the person is before you figure out how they need to do things, it's amazing how quickly the conversation can get going. And so um, my, my encouragement is, Take some time just to figure out who this person is, and then you'll have an opportunity to mentor them. Now, the the flip side of that, how Gen Z um, feels about mentors, once they understand your value, what you can bring, they're crazy about upskilling. And when they understand that you are there to help them upskill and be the best version of themselves, that transition happens much more quickly. And so uh, it's a great question. 
Mentoring is critical. I'm encouraging everybody that I encounter to, to get mentors. I even talk to them about how to go about doing that. And it doesn't mean this long journey. Um, it could mean something as simple as just mentor me on this one thing and building conversations. It's building relationship. Um, but if I had to just flip a, flip a coin and say, which, yeah, millennials are a little bit better because the initial thing that's the, the, the roadblock for most people is technology, but it's, it's only a small part of the conversation. Do you, do you think, um, cause, cause we mentioned like that, um, a lot of generation Z feels very isolated, could like kind of like connecting with them on their isolation and making them feel connected in some way, be a good, uh, like, like door to, to get them to, I don't know, like, be, like trust you and, and have conversations with you. Um, so again, a really deep question. Uh, they're isolated from a number of reasons, right? Growing up in their bedrooms, on their phones, communicating via those kind of technologies, not having the social skills. The short answer, Tim, is yes. Anything that you can do to build relationship and build confidence with them is the foundation for a yes. And that foundation for a yes, what I mean by that is getting permission to speak into their lives. They are really, like most of us these days, really weary. And so all they are trying to do is check you out, kick your tires, make sure that you're the real deal and not trying to get one over on them, that there isn't a hook on everything that you have for them. Um, and once for that sure. mission is in place, that confidence is in place, the opportunity to speak into their lives is is, um, is is really easy. Just remember, just because you have permission to tell someone the truth doesn't mean you do. doesn't mean you lie. I'm just saying, just because you know someone's wrong doesn't mean you tell them. You've got to think about what information you transfer and how you transfer it. So just because I say to you, feel free to speak into my life, doesn't mean you tell me I'm an idiot, right? You've got to think about how that conversation needs to happen. If So um, it, it's, it's, it's a complicated, non-black and white, not scientific, very artistic approach, but that's what it requires. It requires a customized approach to each and every person, and that's why it's so labor intensive, and that's why the workforce of tomorrow is not going to look like it does today. I love it. Well, I want to wrap on one uh, one point, and then I want to give you the final word on this episode, Steve. You've talked a lot about how to work across generations and a lot about Gen Z and what makes them different. And then, Tim, your point where you asked about trust made me think of a book that I read that I think everybody should read. If you haven't, it's called The Code of Trust by Robin Dreek. And in it, he outlines the five-step process uh, to building trust. And I think all of them are perfectly applicable to what we've been talking about today. They are suspend your ego. How critical is that if you're trying to actually you know, uh, connect with someone across generations. How, how important is that? Be non-judgmental, right? That's one of the things that I think whenever we're in that generational conversation, we get so wrong. We're like, oh, these Gen Z, these millennials, these boomers, okay, boomer, whatever. That immediately shuts down your ability to build trust with them. Honor, reason. Um, I forget exactly how we described that one, but just believe that people are reasonable, basically. Validate others. So don't, you know, this is the point you literally just made, Steve. You can tell someone that they're wrong without telling them that they're an idiot. You can validate their point of view and then guide them in the right direction and then be generous. When you do all of these things, you have the tools to build trust. And I think whether it's Gen Z, Gen X, Gen Y, you know, any of the generations, these are things that hold true. So one, I would encourage everyone to read that book. And two, I think we we really nailed each and every one of those points in today's conversation. So the point I want to get let you leave everything on, Steve, is, you know, you um, – you spend so much time thinking about learning about, you know, you're, you're like, you're, you're able to just spit out statistics about Gen Z and what's going on with them. We have leaders that listen to the show via podcast, maybe tune in live, and maybe they're starting to see their workforce skewing younger. They have Gen Z's coming in, leave them with some final advice some final things that maybe summarize some of the points you've made or that maybe you didn't get a chance to, uh, to talk about, it, but leave them with the goods that they need to be able to incorporate Gen Z into their workforce so they can thrive. I appreciate that. Thank you, Jeff. Um, if you want to be future-proofed and um, in a business tomorrow, you need to start looking at strategies to uh, engage Gen Z and alpha generation today. That means you have to start figuring out how to get into communications with them, how to tell your story, giving them an opportunity to buy into who you are as a company, whether it's a product and or a service. Um, and those people will end up at your doorstep in the very near future as potential employees. I think the number one thing is to get a new lens. If you look at this generation through a different lens, not a judgmental space, but to figure out how can I help them be the greatest version of themselves um, you are well, well, well on your way. I don't think you have to re-org uh, your entire business, but if you task one or two people within your organization, even if it's you, to start thinking about small steps to take on that process, 
It's amazing how it happens a little bit by a little bit by a little bit, but all the, and then all of a sudden. And so what you start to put in place today will reap rewards tomorrow. And future proofing is about that. If Kodak had thought about tomorrow in a different way than they did, they would have been around and been a giant today. Well, they don't own Instagram, which is a real pity for them. And so that thinking is really clear that the writing, as it were, is on the wall that if you don't figure out how to get into this group's curated stream, if you don't figure out how to get permission to speak into their lives, if you don't figure out how to show the value that you have to them, they are going to turn you off. And when they turn you off, the chances of them turning you on back on is almost impossible. So I, I want to encourage you that this journey starts just by looking through a different lens. And so I hope that that's encouraging and exciting and insightful. And I hope that means that you'll take at least one step to figure out how to make that happen. It's one step at a time and it's individual customized just like you like your coffee at starbucks that's how you have to treat each person could i have it like this with this and this and this well we're doing it as well and they get that's all they've ever known and that's what they're going to expect i love it man thank you for coming on it is one it's just great to see your face i think we can all agree this reunion has been blessed um It's great to see your face. Thank you for coming on, sharing your wisdom. Thank you to the people that tuned in live and asked questions. Jack, we think you're pretty awesome. Uh, thank you for commenting, asking questions. Really appreciate you um, and everybody else that tuned in as well. Um, so the last thing we do on the show is we like to ask, like, what are you into? Uh, I'm going to switch it up for today. And I'm going to say, does anybody know what Gen Z is into like right now? Like, is there something that we can like tune into and find out about? I mean, are they, are they still, are we still TikToking? Is that still the thing? Like, is there anything else that we need to know about? Kat, who knows? What's Gen so, Z? Yeah, look, I, well, I'm not going to give you the answer. What I'm going to tell you is social media is the most powerful listening tool you ever, can ever imagine. So if you, even if you don't want to use social media and be on it, use it as a listening tool and you'll see where they are, when they are. They are at Clubhouse. They're in uh, TikTok. Those are, the, those are the things that are trending right now. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Mm. Well, um, to my uh, fabulous council members and co-hosts, I uh, love you. Thank you for showing up. Steve, thanks again for coming on. And for all of you listening, please tune in next week, uh, Monday at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Back-to-back <laughs> back things, I get my numbers mixed up. So at 2 o'clock on Monday, you can always tune in live. You can ask questions uh, live on the stream, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. We are pretty much everywhere. If you can't find us, go to superheroinstitute.org slash heroic, and you can find us. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you on the next one. This has been the Heroic Council.